our fan bases are not well aligned. <laughs> me and That's Kyle, me and Kyle it. have a, had a bit of a history on the racetrack. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back here on Youth Inc. Brought to you by Audiorama and as always, our friends at Invisalign. Today's episode is going to be a real treat. A few weeks back, I had the opportunity to sit down in person with two absolute legends. The NASCAR community here in Charlotte is a big deal. Living here, I learned really quickly what the NASCAR scene meant to this community, what it meant across the country, and just living here and getting to know some of the drivers personally has been has been a real eye-opening experience for me considering I grew up in the Northeast where there wasn't a real NASCAR presence. And our two guests this week, you don't get any bigger. One of them, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Obviously, everyone just knows him as Dale Jr. He needs no real introduction. Uh, one of the all-time most popular, one of the all-time greatest racers, Hall of Famer, um, had the opportunity actually to go to his Hall of Fame um, induction party, which is where I had the opportunity to speak with a guy I've also gotten to know with for a long time, current racer, one of the best of all time, one of the best doing it in this very moment, um, Kyle Bush, and had the opportunity at Dale's retirement party a few months back to, to talk with Kyle and his wife about their son, who's a, at the time he was six, I think he's seven now, and he's kind of up and coming race prodigy, kind of carrying on the Bush family name. You know, I got my wheels spinning talking to Kyle at Dale's um, Hall of Fame induction party and listening to him talk about his young son, who's a young driver. He's six, seven years old, and he's traveling the country with his mom, kind of racing in different tracks around the country as, as Kyle is obviously still on the NASCAR circuit. And it got me thinking, right? Obviously getting to know Dale over the years, and becoming friendly with him. And, and of course, the whole world knows his story growing up. Dale Seniors, his father, the all-time legend um, in the NASCAR racing circuit. Growing up under that spotlight, growing up with that last name, Earnhardt, the pressures, everything that came with that. And now here's Kyle and his son is in a, you know at a much younger age, but he's going through the same thing. So my idea was get these two guys together who at not very long ago were like bitter rivals. Their fans hated each other. They, they, we actually got them to talk about where that rivalry and where that kind of, you know, animosity started from. They've cleared the air. They're now good friends, but to be able to sit down with both of them and just hear not only their own upbringing in the world of, of racing and how they got their starts and listening to them, tell those old time stories of the local tracks, but also now as fathers, and as parents raising children, both within and outside of the racing community. But it was just a fascinating opportunity. I, I went and I actually did Dale's show of uh, the Dale Jr. Uh, download at Junior Motorsports, which is a beautiful big building where he keeps his race teams and operates out of here, not, not far, just north of Charlotte. And um, I went and did his show. He's got this sick studio and you can look through the glass wall when you're doing the interview and you can see all their cars being worked on during the week. It's a, it's a pretty legitimate operation. And then uh, we just went shortly down the street to another studio and Kyle was nice enough to join us. And the three of us just sat there and just kind of talked as, as fathers and just kind of shared our stories and our upbringing. So I think you guys are going to absolutely Love this episode. Um, this weekend, the Coca-Cola 600 right here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Kyle is obviously still going to be racing. Dale's now doing some TV work. He's he's obviously retired and 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 doing a lot of big things for over at NBC, calling uh, calling races. So 
Having a chance to sit down with these guys, I think you guys are going to love it. As always, thank you so much to our presenting sponsor, Invisalign. Invisalign is the number one doctor-trusted brand, having transformed over 12 million smiles over the past 25 years. Invisalign gives you the opportunity to make a trusted decision that you can continue to help build confidence for your child. Find your trusted provider at Invisalign.com or talk to your doctor. So please enjoy this conversation with racing legends Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kyle Busch. All right. Well, we're going to pick up where our conversation off camera. But first, I want to welcome everybody to a really special edition here of Youth Inc. We are joined today in person in Charlotte by two of my good friends, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kyle Bush, um, two of the all-time legend stock car racers. Got to know them living here in Charlotte. For you guys to take time to not only be here together, apparently we have to dive into some maybe some past rivalries. We can touch on that here in a second. But for you guys to agree to come on together and talk about your upbringings, both now as parents in the past, coming up through the world of youth sports, I appreciate you guys joining me here on You Think. Absolutely. Right on. Thanks for having me. So so give me. So before, we were, we were talking about a little collaboration, and I asked you like how the, the NASCAR world would react. And, Dale, you said that they wouldn't know. Is there something the fans should know? Is there Our fan bases are not well aligned <laughs> me and That's kyle me and kyle it. have a, had a bit of a history on the racetrack but have since uh you know become pretty good buds but our fan bases still are having a hard time understanding having being in the what, same is room there together like, is there like one particular story that if i ask like your, oh yeah your diehard fans that are outside your shops wearing your hats and your gear like what's the story tell tell this novice nascar who just learned it from moving to carolina do you want to tell it come on I'll, give me the story I'll, we can tell it I, I, uh 2008 richmond yeah um he we're racing for the league couple three laps to go and he got loose underneath me in three and uh, i spun and uh i had just moved to a team that he had just left it was a there was a kind of a weird got awkwardness it. amongst got it. all that we were animosity yeah i'd wrecked him at the year Kansas. before yeah Yep. So I mean, there was some things not good, and I wasn't handling it good. He wasn't handling it great, and and so and we went back and forth in the media a bunch. And <laughs> little did I know that I was. I'm just gonna pretend that you guys have been bitter enemies to today. Like today was the moment that you guys made your friendship work. So as far as our viewers here on you think are concerned, you think is what brought you two together. So oh, okay. congratulations All to right. me. Great. Pleasure. Nice yes. to see I'm you. I'm really glad yeah, we worked absolutely. through this. Thank right? you. Kyle, would you like to add any more to the story before we move on? No, he hit it right. The uh, the culmination of events took place 2008 Richmond. So uh, We actually did uh, patch up our differences on a podcast. Which right. one? Mine. Dale Jr.'s, yeah. I invited him on. We went over it. I just had about the pleasure. It. We had a great conversation where um, Kyle was super honest about how he saw whole, his whole set of events and his perspective of the whole thing. and. Um, so it was, it was great for me, and I think it was good for Kyle. And we've since, even before that, though, I mean, we were kind of we were yeah, I mean, I, I saw, we, we talked for a long time at Dale's Hall of Fame induction party. Right. Yeah. I was like, I we never were, sensed any real animosity. No, so no, no. glad we cleared ago. the air. Yeah. Glad we cleared the air. Exactly. Would your fans say the air is cleared? The ha- fans take it probably harder probably than would. Yeah. I, I don't know that. I don't know some, that his. Some of mine are now Kyle fans. Some, some. of them. That's good. We call them unicorns. Yes. Um, some of them. <laughs> 
<laughs> some of them still hold the grudge, you know, and your fans are passionate and, right. and, and they don't forget anything and some of them don't get over it. Right? So now we want to figure out how to collab, right? So right. Yeah. So I have a vodka drink and he has Rowdy Energy. His energy drink's doing really well. Our vodka drink's trying to get off the ground and we're, we're thinking about some ready to drinks. Put them in a can. And That's right. So are we going to make this happen? We can, just, we can we make can, it happen. We can get rowdy on a high rock for sure. We, I mean, we get, <laughs> I love that. That was, that's that. I mean, I, we're making magic here, boys. Yeah. We're, uh, we're tagline. We're making now. magic. And before we jump in, Kyle, congratulations. As of this recording, you just won your 60th. Is that's that right? Correct. Yeah. Thank saw you. That, of course, we, we all saw you this past weekend. So at the time of this recording, hopefully it's 61 or two by the time it comes out. That'd be nice. That'd be great. But at the time, congrats. But uh, Yeah, we had this scheduled, and so I had to make sure yeah. to go out and win. So if you want, you can schedule me like every week. You, you are a I'll recurring. I'll just come in for like five minutes. And you're a recurring guest. We're going to meet up here at the track, at the, at the shops, and uh, we'll talk whatever you and your son did at the racetracks the previous couple weekends. You and uh, you keep winning, and we're all happy. There's a I'll lot jump on that. Dale's pod, and, which I just had the luxury of joining for the first time. So that was a blast. Right and, uh, all right, so let's jump in. So. As you guys know, here on You Think, like we are fascinated and also like beyond stressed and frustrated as parents about like navigating the world of youth sports. So I, I want you guys to take us back to your. So Dale, I'm going to start with you. Everyone, of course, understands your upbringing, kind of the first family, so to speak, of racing with your father and your grandfather, and, and everyone in your family kind of grew up in this area in, in the in the racing world, like. Take us back to your childhood, like your earliest memories of being around the tracks, your earliest memories of being around, you know, what eventually became your career. You know, what 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 are the first memories you have of just being around the sport? Um, probably uh, at Charlotte Motor Speedway, I was at a qualifying session for the for one of the Charlotte races, one of the cup races, and we were watching the cars qualify, and that was probably 1982 or 83. Um, I was about seven years old. Uh, my parents separated, and I lived with my mom till 1981, and our house burnt down. We was in this small house in Kannapolis and woke up one morning, and the kitchen's on fire. And uh, and so uh, she was broke and had to give custody of me and my sister to my dad. And so now I'm over my dad. We never saw dad. He was I remember maybe standing at his house one weekend, so I didn't really know him. It was really weird. But uh, and you're how old at this point? Six. Okay. And so we next thing I know, I'm in dad's garage on the lake uh going through my toy box making sure all my toys made it right uh, all the other stuff is all our stuff mine and kelly's stuff's in the garage but um and we started going to the racetrack now i'm at a racetrack now i'm i'm like this is cool this is fun racing's amazing yeah and uh you and instantly instantly you're you're drug into that world and loving it loving everything about it and kyle for you of course everyone's aware of you and your brother and, and your brother kurt Growing up in Las Vegas, your father, Tom, was kind of a short track legend, if I have that right, in his own right. Kind of grew up around the garage, grew up around the game. So, like, what do you remember? Like, when did you first feel like driving and racing? And, and, and you started way younger than Dale, right? Dale, you started as a teenager. 12 when I ran. Okay, so like not quite. First competitive. And how old were you? 13, so okay, pretty close. pretty close. Yeah, I mean, so, my yeah, you're right. My dad was a really good amateur racer, you know, in Las Vegas, and that's where he kind of made his racing career. Never went – back east in order to make it professional or anything so um as he was racing through the ranks and stuff i remember the earliest days i can remember probably five six years old something being at the racetrack but my the story the legend is i was there at two weeks old you know yeah. um at the racetrack for my dad's racing and stuff but uh just been around it the whole time all the time and you know my dad always had cars in the garage whether it was a 1932 ford 
coop that we were always kind of working on and, and getting ready and building up. And then, you know, his um, hobby stocks and then his late models and things like that. Um, but once Kurt was old enough to start racing, he sold his big car stuff and bought two little cars. They're Legends cars, Dwarf cars, kind of the same things. Um, and so those two could race. Now, I'm six and a half years younger than Kurt, so as Tom and Kurt were racing, then uh, I was just kind of working on the cars and all that sort of stuff, always in the garage, always being a part of it. I actually, I would video a lot of the races as well, too, so we could go back home and rewatch and stuff like that. But then once I was old enough, um, 13, I finally got my shot behind the wheel. And as, as you asked, like, growing up, being there, like, I always envisioned myself driving, wanting to drive. Like, I really had that, that itch to drive. Um, but you never know if you're really going to be it in order to be able to make it. So we just did it as a hobby really and then it kind of formulated and turned into something more and then how much i'm always curious this like how much is the experience at the young you know you're talking 12 13 years old and younger like how much is like living in las vegas how different or similar maybe is that race experience for a young kid in those days to living in Kannapolis or in the you know in the charlotte area like is it similar opportunities are what you're doing in vegas and what you're doing growing up in in carolina like is it is it the same? Is it different? I think it's a lot different. I mean, your dad obviously came from the local tracks, right? And then made his way up and became one of the, the top guys of our sport, where my dad never really went farther beyond just racing at the local level. Um, could you go from, could your father have, like, did guys from his local, you call them local tracks, like, did any of them make it on? Or was it more common down here in the South? more common here in the south okay. i mean yeah there's guys from the west coast that have made it i mean hornaday made it harvick's made it jimmy you know, yeah jimmy, jimmy. Uh, larson myself okay. my brother you know but i think the biggest thing i asked my dad that one time i was like how come you never like thought about it and right. moved back east in order to go do it and he was like i didn't have any money right like there was absolutely and i was like well you, you hear the stories of like richard and dale and all those guys and like they didn't have any money they just what they did they lived they did you know like why didn't we yeah. do that? And he was like, no, I think we were on an even more different level than what they were. So, yeah. So what, so you talk about money. So, so you're growing up, right. And money and access in today's sports world is even crazier. I mean, whether it's racing or whether it's travel soccer, money is at the root of the experience. So, so take us back, Dale, you're growing up. You, you mentioned you, you move with your dad, you're around the track, you're around the garage, but like who's financing all of this? Like when you guys are growing up, if you can't do it yourself, does it not get done? Like, is the car only as good as your skills as a mechanic? Or is there other people doing the work? Like, how does this whole thing work at an early age? Well, it happens in a lot of different ways, I think. But um, I got a go-kart. Uh, Dad had a friend. His son was racing. And so they sold Dad a go-kart so that we could all we could go with them and race. And Dad went to maybe the first race. And I ran only a total of about 10 races when I was 12. And when he was at the first race, it was amazing. He was helping. We pushed a cart to the starting line. Uh, he was part of, he was helping me. You know, we were doing this And at together. the time, is he Dale Earnhardt? Yeah, he's, he's Dale like, Earnhardt. He's Dale Earnhardt now. Yeah, so, like, is, what is that like? This is probably 86. Yeah, so he's you know, the he's, man. Yeah. I mean, he's. It's pretty, it was great uh, that we were doing something together. Otherwise, I, I was just, I was just you know, following him wherever he went and doing, you know, trying to be where he was, but we didn't do anything together. Right. Uh, we didn't go out in the yard and play or anything like that. So this was great. 
and then I ran a few more races and he wasn't there. We he was working and racing, and so I'd have to go with someone else, and that wasn't a fun experience. Um, but later on, uh, around 15 years old, me and my brother were sitting at a table kind of like this, and Dad laid a newspaper down and it had a. a article on the front page of the sports about a new street stock series starting at Concord Motor Speedway and he said you and your brother should look at this read this article and so me and Kerry read the article and we got it right away we're like he wants us to do this <laughs> you know so I took the same go-kart that I bought dad bought me uh, at 12 I took that go-kart and sold it for 500 bucks and me and my brother walked around town asking you know a gas station that we guy, guy we knew on the gas station man give us a couple hundred bucks and a hardy's down the street and we had his uh you know we had a relative that worked there and managed it and they gave us 500 dollars. so they're like your early sponsors yeah in so we, awesome. we put it together and and went down the road and dad didn't micromanage none of it i mean we he just made sure the world cage was in there so we wouldn't get hurt. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, we broke, we rebuilt the engine. It was a 283 two barrel. wasn't going to be fast. wasn't going to do well. Very small engine. We blew it up the first race. Um, <laughs> we didn't know, you know, nothing. We didn't know what we were doing. And, and dad just let us go flounder, right? And it was probably the best experience because um, had somebody been over our shoulder or doing everything for us and made this car really great, uh, and, and we wouldn't have known why we were doing what we were doing while we were um we wouldn't have known how to fix things and yeah. we burnt a wheel bearing out every other week we couldn't figure out why you know <laughs> we're running this stock wheel bearing on the right front we couldn't figure out well why won't it why is it burning out we keep packing it we keep putting new grease in it it just wasn't tough enough to handle the load so we had to change the right front spindle and get a bigger get a whole bigger setup up there and we learned that ourselves and crawling under cars in the junkyard that was the worst part um, so awesome. worried about snakes and everything <laughs> that's awesome and and you both have touched on it and, and Dale obviously we're familiar with your father and his legacy and just hearing you talk about how much connecting with him at the racetrack like reinforced your relationship with him so Kyle I'd ask you the same thing like how much did the experience of racing with your father with your brother like how much impact did that have like yes you loved it but like how much of it did you love because it was a way to connect with your dad. Like, I, I, like my dad was my high school football coach. So much growing up, all I wanted to do was not play college football, not play professional football. Like, I wanted to play for my dad's high school football team. Like, to me, how cool is that on a Friday night, you and your brother and your dad, same team. Like, how much did racing allow, I guess, both of you, but I'll ask you, Kyle, first. Like, how much did that connection with your father and your family, like, how much did that lead to the love of racing? A lot. I mean, he was basically the main reason why I got into racing. If you ask my mom, she wanted me to be an orthodontist, you know. So, um, But awesome. being with my dad, being in the garage, you know, during his, you know, 6 to 12 years old for me, I was in the garage working. When I, we went to the racetrack, I wasn't old enough to be in the pits. You had to be 16 to have a pit pass. So I'm sitting in the grandstands just with grandma and whatever and not really being a part of the show, like you're saying, like that time with your dad and your brother in the track, at the track. Um, but it was always during the week in the garage, you know, so my dad was a Mac tool man. He drove a route all day long selling tools. He'd come home, we'd work on cars until it was time to go to bed and restart the process over the next day. Right. But once I became 13, now him and I are going to the racetrack together, traveling. So now we get that time of being in the pits together, working together, you know, and, and I, one of the fondest memories that I have was uh, we ran our car all for the first season and we had some bumps and bruises along the way, you know, and I 
oil filter came off. I hit the fence and, you know, whatever. So we repaired the car all year long, ran the whole year on one car. We won a ton of races, won a championship with it. But uh, at the end of the year, you know, I was trying to talk my dad into it. Like, hey, you know, we should tear this car apart. We should freshen it up. We should repaint it, like make it look pretty for the next year. And he was like, oh, hell no. Like, we're not spending that money. Like, we're not doing that. Like, why do you need to look good to go out there and, and win races, you know? So I had the bright idea. Well, okay, if I tear this thing down all the way to the bare chassis, he'll have no other reasons than to say, okay, let's repaint it, right? So I tear the whole thing down. It's complete nothing. And my dad gets home and he goes, cool, good job. Did you learn anything about tearing it apart? Uh, now you can put it back together. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> he, he was like, he was like, look, I'll buy you a couple cans of spray bomb and I'll buy you some new bolts and some new nuts and things like that. And you can freshen it up that way, you know, but like, we're not taking it and repainting this thing. So, um, you know, having that time of just being able to understand and having my dad teach me. So, so we're different because his dad was always gone, right. Or was busy during the weeks and things like that. So my dad, you know, had a normal job and was home and we would go travel on the weekends together, race together. So we had a, we have a different upbringing, a little different perspective on, on how we were taught about the cars and such. But my dad and some of his other good friends that are very good in racing, you know, we all work together and I learned all from them and I would challenge them too, like, Hey, well, like you just said, like we learned about the wheel bearing, right? Like I learned about springs and I learned about cambers and I learned about air pressures and stuff by asking questions and being like, what if we did this? What if we tried that? And he was always like, well, if you do that, then have you thought about this other three things that might happen because of that? So it's a whole convoluted process, you know, of, uh, of working on a car versus being a, a stick and ball sport yeah. type guy. And, and I think the part that I hear that I think is so so important for our audience and, and such a big theme of what we do here at You Think is that whole approach as, and again, we're going to talk about your perspective now as fathers here in a minute, but hearing you both talk, and especially you, Dale, like here's Dale Earnhardt, who at the time, he's the king of the sport and he's helped pushing your car into you know your early races. But then at the same time, he's saying to you and your brother, go race. Like, I'm not Dale, I'm not looking over your shoulder. You're not racing as Dale Earnhardt's kid. Like, you guys are You're not going to have the best car. You're not going to have the most. I'm not going to buy you. Like, so much of the challenge right now that, that I feel both as a father and so many other people throughout the country that we talk to, like, what is that balance between giving your kids opportunity but also letting them fall flat, letting them race a slow car? Dale, he could have – your dad could have gotten you a better car. He could have gotten some of the guys on his crew to fix it up. But there was such a value in his mind – to make you learn it. And, and here you talk about it the same way, like, all right, yeah, you broke the car apart, put it back together. Like, how, where, where did you guys feel along that spectrum of like parental push versus parental support? Like, where did you guys fall? And now looking back on it, would you do it differently? Is, we're gonna get to obviously your experience now, Kyle, with Brexton, but like, when you think back on those years, are you thankful your dad said, go race the slow car? I think that um, he, he feels similar to me, like if, if, if my daughter is interested in something and is like tugging on your pant leg going, I want to do that. I want to try it. You're going to give them that opportunity or help them get that opportunity. Yep. And until, but until they're like showing you that interest, like you're not going to shove them in that direction and go, Hey, you should, you might like this, um, you know, go, go, go. Uh, so he, I think, you know, he, he knew racing, and the way racing kind of works, at least the way it did back then, is like, you know, we're, you, he took the slower car and he learned how to make that car better. 
and he wanted to make that car faster and that's all he had at his disposal was what was in front of him like in the 70s when he was trying to get going so he lived all that and showing initiative and working his you know working as hard as you need to to get to that next level he lived it and he knew that um he knew what he needed to see out of me or carrie and even kelly he knew what he needed to see uh whether we were going to have the initiative and the motivation to do it. And, and there were times when I didn't show it or I didn't have it, you know, and, and he didn't give me, he didn't help. He, he didn't show any interest uh, in me becoming a race car driver. You know, there were days when I'd walk up and go, I want to race. I want to become a race car driver. And he's like, well, what are you doing to make that happen? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you should be in the garage, the cleaning tools. I was sweeping floors when I was your age. I'm like, well, how does that get me to driving? Like, that don't make no sense, right? And I just right. couldn't, and it took me a while to figure that out. And, but he would not lift a finger unless you were willing to do the same, you know, and show some initiative. He wasn't going to lay it out there in front of you. And, um, you know, he was pretty, Kyle understand this, talking a little nuts and bolts, but, you know, in the, when we were racing late model stocks, me and my brother and my sister in the 90s, the coilover three-link car was the really most successful car at the time. And uh, But we had trailing arm big spring cars. And I would try to sneak into the shop and, and put coilovers on our cars and even, you know, cut them up and carry on to try to get, them, get a coilover set up on there. And he wouldn't let us do it. And he's like, if you ever get to the Cup Series, that's what they're racing. You're not gonna, you're not gonna run a coilover car just because it's better or faster or handles better. Or it's a hot ticket right now. If you ever get to the Cup car or Xfinity level, this trailing arm big spring car is what we race. So this is what you'll drive and learn how to use and work. And and I always, I was like, man, well I'm getting beat. I probably wasn't. I probably could have taken that trailing arm big spring car and made it beat the coilover car but in my mind I'm thinking man I'm I got my arms tied behind my back here trying to race this car but so he had uh he wasn't just like go down the road and figure it out he had like a purpose yeah, there was he, a method to there that. was a method yeah that's you know, interesting which is yeah which made you feel like oh it matters a little bit to him right this is it would you know he does care that we're yeah. we're trying to follow in those footsteps yeah and I think the lessons are so you said like stick and ball sport versus driving and racing like there's so many constant themes. It's a different sport. It's a different approach. It's a different journey. But like the lessons are all very similar and like and raising your kids and to parenting with with and you know without a sport. So Kyle, like along those same lines, I follow your son on Twitter. I see Brexton. He's got that cute little race and jumpsuit. He's Surf Pro is his sponsor. I mean, he's racing real now, right? He's not just as a hobby on, you know, every few nights, mom and dad take him over to the track because it's cute and he rides around. I mean, he at least from the outside perspective and from talking to you about it, like he's racing. So as you, as you and Dale sit here and you share your stories with your parents and your fathers and your you know, brother and you and your brother and sister, like, and you think back, all right, well now bring us into like the modern era now of growing up in this world. So you're, you're living it firsthand with Brexton. We were talking about your nephew, uh, Dale Wyatt, Kelly's son, who's 10, a little older, doing the same thing. They're both going to the same track tonight. Like talk us through, what's going on now? Like, give us an insight into this world because I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, so similar to, to Dale when he was talking about his girls, like, if they're interested in something, they want to do something, like, you know, let's let's go help them do that, but let's not force it down them. So Brexton was interested. He, one of his buddies had a go-kart, so he wanted to go to the go-kart track. We watched. He liked it. And we were like, okay, we'll 
put him in that car and he borrowed a kid's car to make a few laps to start with and then he enjoyed it we got our own stuff and we've kind of take we bought used stuff somebody else's car like not the fastest car not brand new but and that was our start and that's where we got started so last year you know he his first year I guess we're all this is start of year three I guess um but his first year he was in cadets he won a few races he moved up to beginner last year he won a few more races and then now this year um he's in beginner again but he's one of the top dogs in in beginner Wyatt who's your nephew was in beginner box stock class last year and he won the championship on the Tuesday night series Brexton won the championship on the Saturday night series at the same track so wild yeah so uh are you guys like there watching this like all right so just real quick and I'll let you finish your story like you're there you're Kyle Busch Dale Earnhardt Jr I mean you guys are like the premier names of this sport and you're there watching your nephew you're there with your son like are you guys like up against a wall are you in the grand scans like what is the experience like for you guys taking this all in at like the local speedway down the street? Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in it. I mean, I'm I'm there. I'm I'm entrenched. It. I, mean, <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm working on that. I don't build the cars. I do have to have somebody that's there every day to okay. build the cars because they're at KBM and my house uh -huh. is 40 minutes away. But, um, anyways, like I'm entrenched. Like I'm at the racetrack. I've learned these things now. Like I've learned how the dirt changes. I've learned how the night progresses, where you can make changes to the car air pressure adjustments or whatever adjustments that you make to make sure the car is keeping up with the conditions of the track. Right. And so I've kind of learned that a little bit and I've had some help, you know, you talk to the other dads, it's really cool. It's really chill. Like everybody's kind of laid is back. Is it mostly dads running the crews for these yo oh, young yeah. kids? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, uh, yes. So there's other dads out there that that's all they do. They work on their kids' carts every day. They come home from school. No different than what I did when right. I was a kid racing. And their, and their dad just has a job as a whatever. Right. Not a race. He's not yeah. a driver. He just could be a fireman. Whatever he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Got it. But I don't have that luxury necessarily because I'm so busy running around doing so yeah. many other things. Like, we would make it to one race a month if I was the one working on that car. Yeah, I right. mean, I just wouldn't have the time to do it. But um, I'm in it, you know, when, when – the car goes on the racetrack. I'm up on the fence, like I'm watching it. And then when we get to the heat races and the and the main event time, like I'm standing back, like I'm recording it, videoing it. We also have an onboard camera with the car, so we can put that together and we can watch and help him. And that's been one of the biggest things that's helped his growth pattern over the last 16 months has just been watching video. Like he'll actually ask. He'll come off the track and be like, "Hey man, show me that video." Like I remember such and such on lap three, I passed so-and-so, like, I want, I want to, like, he passed me back. Why did he pass me back? And that's we, interesting. And we go look at it and we go and watch mind it. you to everyone listening, if you don't follow him on Twitter, like me, he's a month, a week away from being seven, Correct. a month away, whatever yes. it is. He's yeah. almost seven, almost seven. He's yeah. He's, he's not 19. Right. <laughs> okay. So, so the <laughs> difference, one more thing is, is like the difference between me when I started racing or being in the shop, working on the cars, all that sort of stuff is I had that time and our cars were at our house right well now his cars are at my race shop which is 40 minutes away from the house like I want him to get to the point where he can go spend a day or two at the shop a week and he gets to learn them and he gets to work on them and he can actually figure out what tools are right and use that stuff I mean we're playing with RC cars right now so he's learning a little yeah. bit about that stuff with with RC cars but like getting him to understand um you know the vehicles and how to build them and what it takes and all that sort of stuff is definitely still on my radar that I want to make sure that he learns and understands so he's not just a a kid that comes in with money and he can go make it up the ladder and never work on a car well, it's funny you bring that up because I was going to ask you, and, and I think having you both here together is just so, to me, it's super interesting. So I'm going to start with you, Dale. Like, growing up, your father, Dale Earnhardt, 
you know, there's a spotlight, there's an expectation, right? You lived it throughout your entire life. And now here you are, Kyle, raising a, we'll call him a seven-year-old, a seven-year-old who everyone knows who his father is, every racetrack he knows. So like, and I'll start with you, Dale, like thinking back, I know you're the son of, you know, you have two young girls, like, I don't know whether they get into racing or whatever path they take, but like, just from a parenting perspective, like, what in your mind is that balance? I think parents are dealing with this all over, like, how do we let these kids have the opportunities that we all are fortunate enough to give them and we shouldn't have to apologize for that? Like, it's not, you don't have to apologize your father was Dale Earnhardt and you got that access to race, like, neither does your son. You know, where does that line get drawn? So I think um, watching Kyle with Brexton, he doesn't, you know, if I can be on, you know, Kyle's sitting right here, but um, I think that that is a, the fact that Kyle is involved and with Brexton, speaking to him, communicating with him, he's part of Brexton's experience. Um, that's that's going to benefit Brexton and his confidence, all those things. I, he'll get so much more out of it with Kyle present and Kyle involved. Um, he's enjoying doing something with his dad, right? If if if, if I you know, if I imagine that Brexton looks at Kyle and thinks that Kyle is the greatest thing in the world you know? so i'm gonna interrupt you for a second so there's some kids out there at the racetrack that they won't listen to their dads like their dads yeah. don't know what they're talking about yeah. I, you know you're i'm whatever. sure mine brexton i'll give him a thousand percent credit he will actually listen to what i have which to is say. that's you've apparently cracked the code of parenting <laughs> because my kids don't think i know anything about anything right. but I, th I think <laughs> i think that you know no Brexton's really feeding off of having that presence, right, at the track and, and going through this process with Kyle as a part of it. And I think that's really helpful as a parent, you know, or as a child even. Like, um, when we, if you're doing something like a sport or, or an activity and the parent's not present, for whatever reason, right, the parent can't be present or, or, or they're, you know, someone else's, whatever it is, right, um, both parents, right, need to be present should be present that really changes the entire process and experience for the child and uh you know how they how they interact with the child is one thing but just being there and being a part of that experience for the kid i think really helps with the kid's confidence yeah. right they my parents are here they care about this they they want to you know they want to be a part of this experience with me um i think that that uh that is something that will benefit that child at a really young age, you know, 8, 10, 12, um, as opposed to um, if the parent can't be there, uh, can't be involved in the experience, um, I think the child can suffer from some separation anxiety and some, some a lack of confidence as they're going through this process, almost feeling alone, right, yeah. and looking for that parental guidance and maybe getting it from someone else when they really want it from their parent to be involved and with them yep. through the process. I think that's so important. And it, it's so telling, like so much of the experience and, and I see it with my own kids. Like I love going to practice with them and whether it's, it doesn't, it's not even football. My kids don't even play football right now. It, it could be whatever, like sharing that time with your child, doing something they love. Now, if something you both love, great, that's even better. But it even, like, I've learned to love baseball. Like, I never loved baseball, but my kids love baseball. So as a result, we spend a lot of time at the baseball fields, and I've come to learn it. It's, it's a very, it was a new sport to me. I didn't have a lot of background in it. But it doesn't have to be my love. So 
back to you, Kyle. Like, here you are raising your son in a sport that, of course, you love. It's been your life. It's been your life's mission and journey. Like, I know he's young. But, like, is there ever a point, and I'm, I'm sure you and your wife are having these conversations, like, at what point do you guys start, and maybe you already have, saying, like, Brexton, like, this is your journey. Like, you are not out there racing as Kyle Bush's son. Right now you are because you're seven. But, like, you don't owe these other people. There's no expectations. You're not expected to be a NASCAR series champ. Like, at what age do you try to have those conversations where it's like you're living your path, buddy? You're not living mommy and daddy's journey. You're not living dad's life. Like, I think it's so important because I think so many parents out there, like, want their kid to live their life. And that's where, to your point, like, trouble happens. So, like, are you having those conversations with Brexton already? He's a little young. He just, he's probably just having fun on Tuesday night. He probably doesn't even understand, right? So, when we first started, he was five and a half, and we literally would just go out to the racetrack, and we'd go three laps down in an eight-lap heat race. I mean, it was not good. Like, we were just making circles, and then he would play with his friends and go run around and have a good time being at the racetrack. So, now that it's gotten to the point where he's better, he's winning, you know, and, and he's moving up, and he's running different things. We're running you know, the, the outlaw carts on dirt, we're running junior sprints on dirt, we're running quarter midgets on pavement, we're running GoPro go-karts that are road course that. carts. Explain just for novice people like me and our viewers, like, explain why do some people grow up racing dirt, why do some people grow up racing asphalt, two wheels, four wheels, go-karts, stock cars, like, what what is that decision-making process as far as picking what you do? I think it's whatever's closest to you. Got it. So it's an access thing. It's an access thing. Got it. Yeah. So like junior sprints, for instance, like that's Brexton's favorite car. And that's honestly my favorite car as well, too, that he gets to drive. Well, those are more of a Midwest or California based car. Interesting. So I bought one from a guy out in California and there's a, the biggest race of the year. There's like a hundred cars that show up for just this kid's class that races these things in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we went and ran it last year just to get experience for it. Right. And now this year, like he'll go this year, I think he'll have a legit shot to win being seven years old racing against kids that the, the age cutoff is 13 in this car. Oh, my God. So um, can you imagine another sport, a seven year old playing with a 13 year old? That's that, wild. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. We've all said the same thing. Could you imagine? I know. But um, I forgot where the beginning part of that conversation was. How do you pick which tracks you yeah. go to? And you said it's mostly access. It's mostly access, yeah. So the Outlaw Carts is the biggest thing that's closest to here. That's what runs at Millbridge. They run them at Mountain Creek. There's another track that's going to try to run them a little bit in South Carolina, another one over in Eastern uh, Carolina. So um, that's just kind of the, the closest region one. And then you have the quarter midgets that are also re um, they're national, but there's a track here in North Carolina. There's one in Georgia. There's one uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania. I mean, they're all over the place. But um, anyways, that's just kind of how we, we chose which route to go. And you, you asked, like, Kyle Larson, for instance, he's known as the dirt guy, right? Like, he grew up on dirt. He grew up in these outlaw carts, and then he moved into faster outlaw carts, and then he moved into midgets and sprint cars and all that sort of stuff. Me, in, in my world of building Brexton, like, not, not that I'm pushing him, but if I'm going to build a race car driver, I'm going to spread the wealth. I'm going to do dirt racing. I'm going to do pavement racing. I'm going to do some road course stuff. Like, we're going to do all of that, and that's what we're doing right now. So we're getting a taste of everything as he's going. And he enjoys it. Like, he likes it. Like, you, you know, you, you ask, like, where's the fine line of whether or not the kid likes to do it and the kid's living his dream or whether or not it's the parent pushing the parent's dream? You know, to me, I've asked him this, and, and to back up to another point you had was, 
yeah, he's only six years old. Have we had the conversation of, hey, Brexton, is this something that you really want to do? Do you want to go professional, like all that? You ask him that, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be a NASCAR driver one day. They all right? think they are, of course. Yes, yeah, right. So, but we're, we're, we're setting all the blocks to get to that point if he wants to do it and if, if, yeah, if it's it all car. lines up, you know. So there's a lot to it. I mean, him being seven years old right now, like, if you ask me, do you have it all planned out and lined out for him his whole career? Like, I could probably write it down pretty quick and, and <laughs> I could have it be done, you know. Um, but I, I haven't necessarily laid the land. I just kind of have a vision of yeah. an idea of where we're going. And you lived it, right? You you went right. down a, you know, whether it's exactly the same or, you know, slightly different. different it's going to be different than a, what I did. But it's all within the same at least Correct. world. Yep. And, and, and back to you, Dale, I, and when Kyle said this, it kind of just sparked. And when he said, like, this is something that, Brexton is running. I'm not living his life. Like, was there ever a time where it wasn't Dale Jr.'s life? Like, was it was racing ever not Dale Jr.'s? Did you ever? I guess my question is so so often. Like, you, I, I see it a lot in kids that we played with. I even think back to when I was growing up. Like, kids that I'd play football with or whatever. Like, their parents wanted them to play football, so they played. They were good, so they just kept playing, but it was never really what they wanted to do. So I guess, and, and you know, I guess it's kind of a personal question, but like, were you always, if your father is not Dale Earnhardt, and you're, you always wanted to be a race car driver, was there ever a time you felt like you were living a, a journey and a dream for somebody else? Um, I think when, like when I was six, <clears throat> or Brexton age, Brexton's age, I wanted to be a uh, free safety for Washington there you go. in the NFL, but uh, <laughs> I never played, I played little soccer in high school, but never played any, any football, organized football, but um, I just was too small. Yeah. Uh, as far as racing, once I started to get around, you know, 12, 13 years old and be like, I want to do this. I want to try this. How do I do it? How do I get there? I, it was, I could never, I felt like I couldn't ever convince dad that I was serious. Interesting. I, I fought that till... I thought that uh, uh, till you I, joined his Bush team. Yeah, till I got in his Bush car. <laughs> Interesting. So I got, you know, I, I I got in his Bush car and I won some races. And then his whole demeanor changed. He started looking at me, and we started having completely different conversations. And I was now like a little more. He started having more adult conversations yeah. with me, and I'm like, this is awesome. That's yeah. what I've been looking for. And but until then, I was like. It was like I wasn't doing enough to show enough initiative, right, to get him to to really take me seriously. And he looked at me and probably thought, "No way in hell this guy can make it, right?" This, you know, you know he doesn't have he doesn't have the mental toughness and the and the moxie, right, to do it. And so, uh, yeah, so I think I surprised him and me when I got in his bush car and I won some races. I was like, "Wow, I didn't see this coming. I really didn't. I didn't think I was gonna make it." I didn't think I was ever going to make it, and um, and I didn't think he thought I was going to make it. And so when we went out there and won a couple of races, it was like, holy moly, this yeah. is now. Then it was like we shot into the stratosphere. It was like the, the rocket boosters went yeah, off, and we things were – then yeah. it was a little bit of a yeah, wild everyone, ride. The rest is – like they say, the rest is history. Everyone's obviously aware of your Hall of Fame career. I, w- I want to change – kind of sort of change paths here a little bit. I'm sorry, Kyle, like – so much of the youth sports experience in my mind is the lessons that come along the way, right? Failure, adversity, teamwork, work ethic, accountability, like all of those lessons. And, and of course, everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to win every race. Everybody wants to win every game. But so much of the winning is a byproduct, in my opinion, of doing all of those things. So I ask you, like in your approach, not only in your career, 
like obviously you're known as the hard driving guy, hyper competitive, driven, like that that's your personality. You wear it on your sleeve and it's a reason why you're so successful. What is your approach now to raising your son? Like, do you are you worried about the wins and losses? Are you more worried about him learning to manage the car, learn to manage the track, learn to do things, be a good loser, good winner, whatever it is, like what are the lessons in your mind that are coming out of this experience similar to yours or maybe some things that you say, hey, the way I do it, that's maybe not the way I want him to do it? Oh, definitely. Because I have a lot of those moments personally. Definitely do as I say, don't do as I do. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> no question. I can respect that because I fall in the same category at times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, all, all those points go into what we're doing you know like when he started out and he was slow and not trying and not giving it his all and wondering why he wasn't winning I'm like no 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 like <laughs> it's not just going to be given to you you're not just going to back into wins right you know you've got to earn them you have to put in the work you have to try you know like um so those those early lessons kind of went in and now that he's gotten the taste of winning and now that he knows how to win and he's doing a job of figuring that out just last week we had a race where we ran up front the whole race top three the top three kids kind of broke away and there was a race like they were trading the lead back and forth between two three of them and and it came down to um, a five lap shootout at the end and again they were swapping the lead back and forth and Brexton was on the wrong end of the racetrack on the final slide job that he finished second Right. So he was really bummed out and, you know, wanted to win, obviously. But, um, you know, I told him after the race was over, like, that was an amazing race. Like you guys battled each other. You raced each other hard. You raced each other clean. They didn't even put a tire mark on each other. I was like, go over there, give him a high five, give him a fist bump, like tell him great job. That was a fun race. And then from that point, you know, we're we're teaching, you know, sportsmanship. Obviously, you want to have that. Um, he's had his, he has his friends out there. I didn't go to the racetrack. I didn't go to the racetrack to make friends. Like that was one of my dad's my, rules. My next question to you is going to be, okay, good advice. <laughs> does mama look at you and be like, you would never in a million years go shake their hands. No, <laughs> she does. Yeah. But, but we're at least teaching the right path of him, that. you know? Yeah. So, um, it's just a different upbringing and how we're doing it versus what I guess I was done, um, or how I was taught. But the thing that, you know, you, you mentioned all those attributes of what makes a good athlete or competitor. And yes, we're, we're trying to teach all of those, like work ethic, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it, you know, all that sort of stuff. So teaching that to a six-year-old, you're not going to talk about it. You're just going to ask him, you know, hey, do you want to do you want to do this with me? You know, would you like to watch your video? Would you like to go over your film or you know, hey, we're going to go test today. Do you want to go test your race car at the track? And he'll go and he'll sit in the car and I'll make changes. Like I'm learning how to work on the car while he's learning the different feels that I'm giving him with the changes that I'm making to the car for him just making laps on the racetrack. And so like we're, we're both kind of building into this thing together and him just getting reps is, is the biggest thing for him right now of, of learning how hard to push. Yeah. There's something cool about learning it along the same time. Like I mentioned before baseball, like so much of why it's fun to spend time at the ballpark. Like, I enjoy coaching my kids in football. Granted, it's been flagged. But, like, I've kind of done that. But there is an element of learning, like you talked about. Like, you're learning new things along the way. Well, like, you're learning how to talk to yeah, a it's, child. it's a whole different experience. Right. Like, you can talk to yourself in your own head and yeah. have an understanding of it. And you try to explain that the same way to somebody else. And they have no idea what you're saying. Like, I even asked Brexton. Like, I'll explain something to him. 
And I'll be like, does that make sense? And he goes, no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, start over. Start over. <laughs> He's seven. Yeah. I'm not talking to my pit crew, my crew chief. Right, exactly. Dale, Dale, something that I've always kind of admired of you from afar, and then obviously the last few years getting to know you more personally, and again, just, you know, all the success you've had, your legacy, all of, I mean, you check every box, the success and everything. Like what I've always found interesting, both from afar listening to you in post-game, you know, post-race press conferences and just your message is like, whether it was through success, heartbreak, winning the Daytona 500, losing a heartbreaker because you spun out, whatever the situation was, like I always felt like you had a really good, and whether you were telling the truth or not, I don't know, but it always seemed to me that you were always collected, you're always humble, you're always very like level-headed and clear. Like, what your personality? Like, what about your personality along the way in this journey of racing allowed you? I think it's such an important lesson for kids. Like, I, I try to stress this for to me my, too. But, and, and this is really more so for Kyle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I just think it's a really good lesson. Like, listen, I don't. I tell my kids all, all along. Like, I don't want you to be a good loser. I want you to have good sportsmanship. You show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. You should, if you care, losing should bother you. The kid who just like frolics away after we spent nine hours at the ball fields, and they don't care whether we win or, win or lose. No, I don't want that either. But I also don't want the hissy fit and you're throwing your stuff. No offense. Um, <laughs> Kyle's like, yeah, I've been there. So I guess my question, in all seriousness, Dale, is like, what about your personality? Is just how you've always been. Was there a learning curve to that? Like, how did you handle? all the success, the heartbreak, everything in between, and, like, always maintain the demeanor that it seems you're having sitting right next to me. I, don't, I think that um, I was going to go home. So if we had a bad day, I was going to go home, and I was going to sulk, and, and, and I was going to drag that through the week. And so <clears throat> the sooner I could start to unravel that, uh, the better. And... Um, so I would try to, even if it wasn't tr exactly true in the moment, I would try to start to unravel that depression or that frustration as soon as I could. Because I didn't want to have an awful week. I didn't want to go home and be miserable. I was going to. Um, you know, when, when you don't do what you think you should have done in a race or don't finish where you think you should have done, you, you feel that until the next chance you get to get in the car and, and start over, right? Every, every weekend was a chance to, to redeem yourself or prove that last weekend was not who you are. And so um, I had those emotions inside that, man, I'm mad, I'm depressed, or I'm frustrated, or I just wanna, I wanna throw something or, or pitch a fit. Um, but I had to, I didn't want to, I had things going on in the week. Yep. You know, we got autograph sessions or meet and greets, or I had a got trip. family, I got, got a, a wife family and kids, or a trip, yeah, a trip planned, or I was going to yeah. do something. My buddies Tuesday, and so I, I knew that I didn't want to be miserable in those experiences. When you go live your life during the week, I would didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, damn, yeah, you know, I get it. And so I would try immediately to like to repair whatever the hell was going on in my 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 emotions, um, as fast as I could. And try to figure out, like, to make some sort of common sense, rational sense of what, you know, okay, well, we'll figure it out. And I'm going to go, we're, we'll find out why that didn't work or why the car did what it did or, or I'll fix what I did wrong. Um, and uh, and the one thing you learn about racing now, it's not, it, Kyle doesn't have this experience because he wins a lot. But 
most people not as often as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> most people in racing, you're gonna lose a lot of races. So far. A you're lot more than you're ever gonna win. Ever. And that's that was uh you never get good at that. Yep. You never you never get okay with man, I might lose all of them this year, right? Yeah. Um, What's you, a good year? How many how many races would be like a spectacular the guy who wins it all? I mean, like, six. I think five, six wins in a season is like, man, that's what. And five, and five is a good year. Yeah. Five out of, but you race forty weekends, thirty six, thirty six weekends. Mm -hmm. So, I, and I, I always think about this with golfers. I call them my golf buddies. It's very similar to you guys. You have a, a huge field, and there's going to be one winner every time we took the field. It was like a 50-50 shot. There was only two teams, right? right. So you, every weekend, every you had a chance. But yeah. there's 53 guys that get the chance to win, right? Half on the that guys, team. half the guys are always going to be part, whether they were worth a shit or not. Right. Half the guys get to go in the locker room as winners, and the other half, the guys who played great, the guys who played like crap, were losers. You guys, it's, you either, you know, we always joke because we all saw Talladega Nights, right? If you're not first, you're last. You know, everyone makes a joke of it, but like in your world. Second place and back, losers. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you guys deal? Like, what is your approach to dealing with the inevitable failure that is kind of embedded in your sport? Yeah, you just know it's possible. It's gonna be. It's gonna happen more than it's more than more than winning. I mean, yeah. For me, like the fire, the desire, the drive, the everything for me is is all about winning, right? Like, it's yeah. it's, it's the winning. It's the the feeling you get of just being able to know that you topped all the rest of the guys that day, but also you're rewarding your team for yeah. all the people that are around you that are helping you doing what you're able to do. Like the driver gets the glory, but really it's the it's the whole team, organization, everybody that that also enjoys yeah. in, and in that win. So um, I'm, I'm the worst. Look, I'm the worst loser ever. So <laughs> and and I and I do my fair share it. of it. I'm not uh, a great loser either. I'll be honest. I've had some bad moments. I'm not a good loser either. Yeah. So it's just I don't know. Like I've never really figured it out even to today. Like we've we've gone through a tough stretch this year. Like, you know, Vegas earlier this year, we were leading the race. We were coming down to the final laps of the race leading and there was a late race caution and then we had to do a pit stop and then you know I, I didn't win and I was so infuriated because like that was one that got away yeah you know and then this weekend at Bristol Dirt you know I'm running third like I was up front all day ran close ran good like we were gonna be like okay let's go home we got third whatever fine um and then the seas kind of parted ways I was able to win the race the front two guys got together they crashed each other out and I took the win and after the race is over like I just get out of the car and I go up to the to get the checker flag and I get back in the car and it's just like ho hum like I'm not all pumped up yeah. like excited like overly excited because we stole one yeah you know what I mean like yeah. people are like well why weren't you excited you won you won the race and I'm like eh I get it we stole one you know so it wasn't like you go out and dominate and beat everybody into the ground you're gonna be like damn right we yeah. did you know, those are the ones you're pumped up and excited about. Not all wins are the same and not all losses are the same. Exactly. And I don't understand how people can tell you how to take your wins and how to take your losses. Like, there is always a comment on every single thing, and it drives me bonkers. Like, when I won my second championship, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, like, what's wrong with Kyle? Like, he wasn't excited. He wasn't jubilated. Like, he, like it was just monotone. And I remembered my first championship we were all so excited and like you're turning around, you're looking for everybody, you want to see this person, this person, this person, this person. I forgot like the whole thing. 
Like, it's, like it's the day that didn't exist. So, like, this time I tried to slow it all down and, like, put it in slow motion so you can, like, see everything yeah. and take it in and all that. And it was just a different experience for me. And I saw it through a different way of enjoying a championship. Yeah. And I get bashed on it because... You're going to get bashed on everything nowadays. Yeah. You guys know that. No, you no guys, kidding. Your connection to the fans is very unique in the sports world, right? The the amount of interaction. I mean, I remember being at races and, like, people are standing in the garage. and people That'd be like people coming in our locker room and standing on the sideline during the game. Yep. You've got people in right. the pits. You've got people... The access that fans have. Now, it's part of the beauty of the sport because they truly feel like those guys waiting outside your outside your shop today asking for like those guys like feel a part of your team. It's a very being around and learning the NASCAR world and learning the race world. Like it's a very interesting connection between the drivers and the fans. I mean, that's a real bond. I mean, the NASCAR sales piece has always been the most passionate fan base. in no sports. question. You know, like no question. You have fans that are fans of the Washington Redskins or the Carolina Panthers or whatever, they probably don't even know but two guys that are on the team. It was a random name. today's a random Tuesday and outside of De when we walked out of right. Dale's shop, there was fifty people outside. Yeah. And every one of them had his hat on, his in his hoodie or his t shirt and had little replica cars. They had pictures. I mean it was like I was like, Dale, you do these guys here every day? He goes, just every Tuesday. I said, because <laughs> they know you're recording. He goes, Yeah. And they went out and he, obviously it was I, I just think it's what you guys handle and deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. I think it's impressive. I got one last thing for you, Dale, and then we're going to wrap up and let you guys go. Again, this has been super cool, and uh, just the fact that you guys are here together kind of sharing these stories at the same time is super is super cool for our viewers. Dale, for, for someone in your position, everything you've accomplished, your legacy, your notoriety, like, is there one element of your experience, particularly in racing and your in your career, then you, you touched on her, you have two young daughters, you're married. Like, is there something that you pull out of the experience from your career that you either try to avoid carrying into your personal life as a parent or something that you say, this was a great lesson that I took from my, my career, from everything I've accomplished. I'm going to continue to carry it and try to pass this down. And it doesn't mean you're going to raise your daughters to be drivers. Maybe you do. But just like an overarching philosophy that you took out of your career as a racer that you bring into your role as a parent. Yeah, I think it's um, probably the same uh, thing that, that Kyle's experiencing today with Brexton. I was lucky to watch my sister, uh, her two girls started racing in the same type of stuff that, that Brexton runs. And um, they, would, uh, they would handle losing really poorly. Like the first, like they, you know, they didn't know yeah. how to act when they, when they got done racing and didn't win. And they didn't know how their they uh, they would look at mom and dad and go I'm gonna act a certain way and maybe that's how I'm supposed to act or I gotta show you I care this matters to yeah. me I'm gonna, I'm gonna get mad and stomp my feet and uh, because maybe I'm supposed to care this much and this is how I show I care and it was a uh, I would watch them lose and pitch a fit or throw a tantrum and and uh, at first I was like man I really don't know if they need to be racing. And then when they started doing that, so you know, not reacting well in certain moments, I'm thinking, no, this is the best thing for them because they're going to learn how to how to handle, you know, that person out running them and going over there and and shaking their hand and saying good race. Uh, you know, that that's w watching Kelly's girls go through that and watching them get better and become better people, you know, was really uh, interesting to me. And so years later, now as I'm you know uh, becoming a dad. I think that 
having been a racer, we'd get out of the race car after every lap we run and we'd look on the board and we'd go, where are we? How fast are we? Everything's competition. Everything's being the best. And I think if I hadn't seen all that, um, if my girls want to get into whatever it is, dance, I don't know what it is, right? You're going to go and be like, how do we be the best? What do we got to do to have the, <laughs> what do we got to do for you to win? But now I'm more thoughtful about, well, how, how do they, how are they going to react, you know, to winning and losing or struggling or failing or, or making mistakes. And that's, that's, that's going to be something that's higher up the priority list than I think it would have been had I not been able to watch Kelly and now, like Kyle, you know, we go to the racetrack and we watch Kyle and Brexton interact. And we, you know, they, sh they share a bunch of their um, experiences on social media, right? And we watch. It's great parenting lessons going on right there in those moments where you can kind of pull from some of that stuff and go, man, that's, that's something I need to keep in mind when I'm going through this with my daughters, right? So I think that I don't know that I pull a lot from my own personal career, but I pull a lot from watching other parents whether they're playing in stick and ball sports, whether it's racing or whether it's dance class or I whatever. That's such a good point. Right? Just watching and seeing some of the good moves that, that these parents are making uh, and trying to put that in your pocket. I mean, what is Uncle Dale like when he comes and watches the track? I'm pretty laid back. I, are I, you yeah. hiding? Do people know you're there? I'm you? not. When you go to uh, the dirt track, I, we are not the superstars. Me and Kyle are not the superstars. Interesting. The kids, the kids are, are the stars and, and – uh, you'll see some people that you know and recognize, but um, Wyatt has a father that's as passionate about it as, as Kyle is with Brexton, and so I stand back and I don't get in the way, and I just I'm there to support and I enjoy it. I enjoy sort of having that role and not having. That's pretty. There's that's nothing expected for me. I'm just there to support, and hey, Wyatt wants us to be there and wants to wants yeah. us, wants to wants to race and show us what he's doing and. So we get to stand in the victory lane, post you know, That's pictures when he wins. That's always fun. We did, we did an episode with Cooper Manning, Peyton and Eli's brother. His son is the number one high school quarterback in the country. He's the number one recruit, five-star, you name it. So we had him on the show, and he talked. He's like, you know, a lot of the times I get to be just dad, but he does call his uncle. He plays quarterback, of course. He's like, he gets to call his uncles, and, like, he'll pick their brain. And it's cool because it's not dad. But it's still family. It's their uncle Peyton and uncle Eli. Like, so during the week, are they calling you, or you are no. you are just a yeah. fan? Dad's the which is nice. Which is Kyle knows LW. I know what it's like as a dad. Is, I, it's not easy Kyle carrying knows, the burden. Kyle knows why it's dad, and and LW is absolutely passionate. And and Kyle and LW race. They they take them together. They yeah. they sometimes travel together and work together. Um, so it's a tight knit group and. He's getting all the information that he needs, and more so from from awesome. his own father. But uh, maybe one day I would. That would be nice. If he ever, I think if he ever gets on pavement, he might call me up. That'd be nice to get. I'm <laughs> for, fascinated for the, for the uh, uncle to get gonna, a phone call. He's going to be looking for that late model stock ride. I know then, that. Then maybe he'll give me. He's a call. only going to call you when he needs <laughs> Uncle Dale's car. That's the yeah. problem. So is it really that big of a difference between the dirt and the? I, you guys yeah. keep differentiating between. Oh, this is a dirt. This is asphalt. Like, it's, is it two different worlds? Totally, totally different worlds. Interesting. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah, Kyle's talked about it, how he's having to learn. You know, he's actually, while Brexton's learning to drive, he's learning how to fix the car because some of the changes that we make on our pavement cars do not, it doesn't work that way in the dirt mm -hmm. world. And so mm -hmm. 
Kyle's and the other night, the race was on dirt, right? So how different is that for those guys? Like, is it? It's a whole. No matter, even if you're a professional at your guy's level, it's, if we suck it's a guy, similar but different. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the way you drive the car, the way you attack the track, and all that is entirely That's different so than cool. you ever would pavement. Now you can take some of your pavement lessons and get in and get into it. Like we had a long run there in the middle of the race and the groove was yeah. kind of starting to widen out right but if you're a dirt racer you want to get it all sideways and on the right rear and driving off the corner crooked but if you're a pavement guy like me and you're just kind of riding and chilling like you're just cruising into the corner yeah, turning left the whole time and then when it gets a little loose you just control the loose like and lap times aren't that much different between the dirt guy driving crazy and the pavement guy driving straight really? and straight and steady so it just it, it kind of depends and and i'm not so the dirt guys are comfortable about putting it out there and being crooked and sideways and all that and knowing car control better that way where sometimes they get on pavement and they want to do that but they're not as fast because they can't feel the car more per se right versus myself i'm more a pavement guy although i've i've run dirt before yeah right. but i grew up more pavement That's style and so i'm i'm more of of that kind yeah. Well, the, this last segment is it's called like being a football guy versus a baseball no, guy. I know, but I'm just trying to like find what the parallel would be. I mean, like we don't. The game doesn't change much for us. Like the biggest. It would change be tennis. Would be it would be like being on a tennis court. Hard court. Yeah. Yes. I'm trying to like relate it to. I mean, we have astro, we have turf and we have grass. You're gonna wear different cleats, we right? We wear different cleats. The way you would never change how you ran your route. You would never change. I don't. So you don't have different grip between... You have... Di the cleats feel different, right? We'd have seven stud mold. You go up to Chicago in the fall and it's wet and it's damp and it's dewy and the grass is... It feels like the grass is up to your knees. You're running like a cow pasture versus you go down to South Florida right. and you go down to the... Down so you to have to have different technique. So you have different cleats, different texture. But once the game's going, your footwear might change and your approach. But then... The game, your routes are the same. I don't know. I just think it's really fascinating that on any given week, you guys have to put that much alteration and change into. So it's, it's not very. I'm not a. I'm not. You're the football expert, but sitting here thinking and listening, I think you know Kyle's onto something. So a running back, right? When he's on a when he's in a dome, he has you know he has his he has a toolbox full of things that he can do when they hand him the ball, as far as how he attacks the line of scrimmage, and yep. he can use patience and all that when it's. When he's in a snowstorm, yeah, that's true. He's the running, elements change. He's running yeah. straight ahead, yeah, and he's got a, you know, he's got a certain. It's one pace straight ahead. Yeah, he looks the same the entire game as far as everything he does. Right? Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, yeah, the, the elements definitely change us. A wet day, rain, snow, cold and you know, cold and hot. That the elements we operate in definitely change our environment. The actual that stadium would that would be the comparable. That's I think that's a good point. Well, the last thing we do, the three before you go segment, we're just going to ask you guys, I'm just going to ask you guys one question each, rapid fire, first answer that comes to your mind, then we're going to let you guys go about the rest right. of your day. You Sounds ready? Sounds good. Yes, sir. So I'm going to start with you, Kyle. You're, you're in it as a dad. You're living it with your kid. What is the one challenge you see from your experience now in just youth sports? It doesn't have to necessarily just be racing or it could. What is a challenge that you see right now living it as a parent that you think is going to be a challenge for these kids moving forward? Um, I would say, and, and for me, my family tie right now is probably expectation. There you go. Yeah. That's what the biggest thing um, is just Brexton being my son, he's going to be expected to run well or win and make it to the top. Like, that's my biggest struggle, I feel like, where he should be his own person, his own driver, and make his own path. 
that's perfect. And I'm actually going to ask Dale to follow up because I think if anybody can speak to that, you obviously know he, exactly what he's talking about. You, or would, he answered a question. I was you're thinking, thinking manage of, expectations. So, so what would be your – so from someone in your shoes, right, the expectations that were on you from the first time anyone ever saw you step behind a wheel were clear. Very similar to what he's saying for Brexton. Like what would be your advice? What would be your reflection looking back on that on how to exactly do that? Now, what do you know now that you wish your 12-year-old self knew? I wish I would have gotten there and cleaned the tools and swept the shop floor. <laughs> and I wish, I mean, I did not show enough initiative. I wish I had. I didn't know what my dad was trying to tell me, and, and it's absolutely clear now. But I think um, the advice that I would, I would give uh, to someone in Brexton's shoes, uh, following in his famous father's footsteps, is to embrace who you are. And um, I had a lot of success, and it brought me a lot of comfort and it made things a lot easier for me personally and emotionally by embracing me, like not trying to be dad, not wearing black all you know every day and not driving black race cars and not running over everybody that I caught. Um, dad had an intimidator, you know, rough around the edges, blue collar reputation. I wasn't him. I didn't feel like him. I didn't act like him. I didn't have the same sort of interest in all that. And I embraced who I was and I made a real uh, effort every opportunity I had in front of the media to to push that narrative, right? And I think that helped me a lot because people were finally got over ho the hope that I was going to be Dale Earnhardt point two. People finally said, eh, I guess I better quit wishing for that because it's apparently not who he is. And then it started getting easier for me when those expect expectations started kind of falling away. That's gonna, we're going to end on that note because I think that message right there and having you two kind of share your unique, your unique not only upbringings in the sports world with your parents, with your families, but then now also reflecting back as, as fathers and as parents is the entire core of what we hope the show is and what it's been up to this point. So we're going to end there. I, I can't thank you guys. Kyle, Absolutely. Dale, I appreciate you guys joining. This is a huge treat for our audience, having you guys here together in person. Um, is just is super special. So thank you guys so much for joining us here on You Think, and uh, we hope to see everybody next week. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back here to Youth Inc., um, one of our favorite segments of the show where we get to kind of hear from our audience and hear from our fans and viewers. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring back in Tasha each week. Tasha has a bunch of questions that... People have really been enjoying not only submitting, but also hearing kind of our take here on You Think. And uh, Tasha, what do you got for us this week? Before we get into fan questions, Greg, I'm not sure if you saw over the weekend in the Connecticut Post article in a town of Weston, apparently parents were warned to stop tailgating at their kids' games. I'm not sure if you ever tailgated at your kids' games before, but I guess it was getting rowdy, drinking. Not sure your thoughts on that. Yeah, I it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, I've seen it, both teams that we've been associated with and just teams that we've played against. You know, you pull in, everyone's got their Yeti cups. You don't really know what's in it. And what happens <laughs> is as the day goes on and the days get long, you know, you got breaks in between games. You, you, you could be there as early as 10 a.m. and not be out of there until 6. And to a lot of the parents, the drinking and that the social component becomes the priority. And, and, and I've been very clear here on you think everything. And, and sometimes people might even think I'm overboard. I think every single moment of every game practice or anything affiliated should always be about the kids. 
all the instruction and the feedback should be to the kids. All of the attention should be to the kids. All of the support should be to the kids. Everything should be about the kids. The adults, every, the adults don't need to worry about their own, how long the day is, how tired we are. I need a drink. Like it should only be about what's best for the kids, how to get the kids fed, how to get the kids through the games, how to get the kids. So I, I mean, I've seen it where the parents, you know, plan the entire day based on who's going to bring drinks, who, what time are we going to meet for drinks after the game's over? How fast can we get to a, to a bar or a brewery? Like I, I've seen it. And, and I just think it, it sends the wrong message, not only to the other families, I think it sends the wrong message to the kids. And as the kids get older, you know, they're not naive. They understand what's happening. They see what's going on around them. I just think there's a time and a place. And I think when we're at games, at practices, that attention and the emphasis and all everything should be about what's best for the kids. And the parents have to put themselves secondary and say, I can wait to have my social time. I can wait to have my, my cocktail or my truly when the game is over, go to dinner, go for lunch after the game and have a hundred beers, have a bunch of whatever, just like keep the games about the kids, keep the games about why we're all there. That's my personal opinion. I'm a, I don't know if I've ever tailgated at a, any game, let alone a youth game. I definitely have not tailgated at, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of where I stand on, on that. I, my, at, at all costs, when, when in doubt, if it doesn't have anything to do with the kids, to me, it's not important. Right. And Drinking usually sometimes allows parents to get out of hand, which leads to our first fan question this week, which says, should there be fines for parents who yell and heckle at referees and umpires? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen it. I mean, have I ever, you know, have I ever questioned a call of an umpire? Of course, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm uh, that I'm sitting here like preaching to everyone. But my, my my rule pretty much is I don't necessarily argue balls and strikes. I don't argue if there's a misinterpretation of the rule. There's a, there's a way to interact And I'm speaking on behalf of the coach first, like call time, go out, just talk you one-on-one -on -one with the, with the umpire, the official, the referee, get an explanation of the ruling. It doesn't need to be across the diamond. It doesn't need to be across the gym or whatever it is. Like there's a way to interact with the adults who are calling the games and officiating the games. You might not still like the outcome. The parents sitting off site, everyone's going to have their chirp. Everyone's going to have their, whoa, that's a good pitch, right? Like you're never <laughs> going to outlaw that. But what we're seeing a lot on social media is you're seeing where the, the umpires and the fans and the parents are having like back and forth confrontation. It's a, it's an ongoing back and forth dialogue and it's escalating. That's the stuff we have to get rid of, right? You're never going to, parents are always going to be parents. Fans are always going to be fans. It doesn't matter if the kids are 10 or if it's the Super Bowl fans are going to think every call goes against them and it, you're never going to change that, but there's got to be some decorum to how that interaction goes. And a lot of that sometimes falls on the, on the coach. I've, there's been a lot of times where I've had to walk to our, you know, down the dugout, down to where our fans are sitting and be like, guys, if there's an issue, I'll handle it as the coach. You guys got to stop because you're not helping us, mm -hmm. right? You're making the, the, the umpires or the refs, they're, they're turning more against us because you're, you're just continuing to just badger them. So I think sometimes it falls on the coach and, you know, the parents have to understand, yes, cheer for your kid, be into the game, be passionate about it. Don't remove that. But you have to understand there's a way in which to engage with the umpire. And when enough's enough, you got to move on and move forward and just stop the back and forth banter. That's where things get, that's where things can sometimes get out of hand. How much would you find parents for going back and back, back and forth like that? Ooh. They got to pay for all the uniforms. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to implement those fines, right? I don't know. If, I don't know if fines are necessarily. Um, they, it sounds great, but I don't know how practical that is. I don't know who's going to administer them, who's going to dictate how much or what the severity is. The rule should be: let the coaches handle the umpires. Cheer for your kids. React to a call. Yes, everyone's going to, especially real intense games. We've all been a part of them. And you think he was out? You think he was safe? You thought it was a whatever it is. Like, all right. And then when it's over. It's back to cheering for your kids. It's what's what's done is done. And you got to move forward and let the coaches handle the discrepancies on the field with the umpires. Let the coaches handle it. You cheer, encourage, push the kids, all that stuff. But you got to let the coaches handle the umpires because when the parents do it, it just makes things worse. Mm. Our second fan question says, some families are holding their kids back a grade, not because they're struggling academically. This is very common when I was growing up yep. too. Um, but to give them a leg up in sports. So what are your thoughts on that? Parents holding. Yeah, back? actually, I actually firsthand, uh, I can relate to this. So our, our oldest son Tate is very, very young for his grade. So there, for like, there's kids that are in his grade. He's in fifth grade right now and he's 10. He won't told, he won't turn 11 until, until the summer after the season, after the, the, the school year is over, there's kids in his grade, in his class that have already turned 12, right? So in some cases, he's a full year, if not 14, 15 months younger than a lot of the other kids. So we've always gone back and forth about, you know, it's not necessarily to give him a leg up. It's just to make him age and grade appropriate, right? So, cause we're always caught into this balance. Should he play with his grade, which would be fifth graders, but a lot of those kids are 11 turning 12, or should he play with his age, which is 10 and he'll be 11 here soon. But then that makes him mostly with fourth graders. What is that right balance? I mean, we've had a lot of discussions in our family. Like, is there a time where we should have him reclass so that he'd still graduate high school at 18 he would mm -hmm. be like a normal kid who graduates high school and, and gets their diploma at 18 years old. Is that what's in his best interest just to like make him on par? It's not necessarily to give him an advantage. It's mostly just to bring him up and not always put him at a disadvantage when it's grade based sports. So that's something that we've, we've wrestled with back and forth um, personally. And, and you know what? I, I understand why parents do it. I think sometimes it gets a little out of control. I think you have kids that are turning 19, you know, in December of their senior year in high school. I mean, they're, they're graduating high school at 19 and a half almost. I mean, it's in some cases, I think it gets a little crazy. Um, you know, I've always been the school of thought that, you know, try to graduate high school at 18. If maybe you turn 19 late in the spring, right before graduation, I understand that. But, you know, we're just seeing, you know, like anything, people just continue to push the limits, push the limits. And there's a big difference between a 19-year-old boy or a 19-year-old girl and a 17-year-old girl. But oftentimes, they're both 12th graders. They're both seniors competing for the same spots, competing for the same place on the varsity team. It's a significant, it's a significant difference when you factor all the way through middle school, all the way through high school. So we see that a lot around here. And um, I understand why people do it. Mm-hmm. So you're not against it or anything? It's just no, I'm not on... against it. I, I think everyone has to do what's in their child's best interest. I think people are constantly evaluating what gives their child the best opportunity to succeed, the best opportunity. Yeah. Maybe they're a late bloomer. Mm -hmm. Maybe they haven't, you know, kind of hit their stride until a little later. I think every family is very unique. Um, every child is very unique. And I think parents have the right, within reason, parents have the right to 
make decisions that they believe are in the best interest of their child. And who are we to tell them what to do? That's good. All right. The last question this week is, should teams have a code of conduct for players and parents? Yeah, I, I just think we've we've talked about this a lot on, here on You Think. I mm-hmm. think we've talked about communication, right? I think we've talked about expectations, not only for the players, but for the families, for the coaches, everyone just being clear in communication. And it doesn't mean people aren't going to go out of line. It's not going to mean that people aren't going to, you know, have a weak moment in an intense thing and go and interact with the coach the wrong way or interact with the ch- one of the kids the wrong way. People are going to make mistakes and whatnot. And as long as people can be open and honest and have conversations both before and after to address it, I think things continue to move on. Anytime you bring, you know, a dozen families together that think things should be done similarly, they think maybe things should be done differently, you're going to have conflict. And as they get older and as this, as the competition rises, you're going to have people who want to really, really be competitive and intense and all that. And you're going to have people who are on the other side of the spectrum. I find myself in that situation a lot, but I have to sometimes take a deep breath and say, okay, yes, I believe it should be intense. I believe that kids should be pushed. I believe, but not everyone does. And I need to respect that. And I need to abide by, you know, the team atmosphere myself, if I'm not the coach or whatever. So I, I get all of that. Um, but yes, I do believe that it needs to be communicated from the coaches um, to the, not only to the players, but to their families. Here's how we're expecting everyone to, to act. If we have a mix up, we need to talk about it. We need to correct it. We need to both share points of views on why we believe we were in the right or we were in the wrong so that we can continue to move forward in a healthy environment. Again, that's in the best interest of the kids and communication and setting expectations are at the are at the the foremost of importance in that regard. How do you communicate your own like team culture as a coach and like code of conduct to your parents and players? Is it like a meeting in the beginning? Yeah. Or is it yeah? We, yeah, we just set we just set the the expectations from the beginning, both, you know, in the beginning of the season and then typically as the season goes on, you know, things start to kind of maybe drift away from it and you got to bring everybody back in. Listen, it's a long season. Parents invest a lot of time. They invest a lot of resources. They're bringing their kids. Parents feel vested into the outcome. They feel that's their child and they feel no one cares about their kid more than their own parents. I get all of that, right? I've been on the coach side and I've been on the parent side. So I understand that the, the factors that come from the coach where you can't have 12 parents in the dugout every inning, telling you what to do, telling their kid what to do. But I also understand it from the parent perspective where you feel like you really know your kid and you're trying to help them and you want to be involved, right? Like, so I understand there's a balance there, especially at this young age, but we've got to try to draw that line on what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. And again, it's through communication. It's between being adults. It's having open conversations. It's being civil to one another, talking through differences, talking through, you know, just the way you guys see things. And I think if you can just have that trust and that open dialogue amongst the adults and the, the, the players on your team, you can just continue to foster healthy environments. It doesn't mean everyone's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean every coach is going to handle every situation, every kid, every parent. But if we can just continue to further that dialogue of what these are the expectations we're shooting for, let's continue to keep this all in mind and share a common vision, which is in the kid's best interest. Typically, you can keep things, even if they do go off rails, you can kind of get them back on track pretty quick. Mm. Great. Well, that's all we have for audience questions this week. And you guys can always submit them to Greg Olson at You Think or on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Well, I appreciate it. As always, thank you guys so much uh, for listening. 
here on You Think. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you guys get your podcasts. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week.